like that. Today's guest is Andrew Paul. He's the co-host of the Turn Golf Pod. Andrew, how are you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good over here in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, in the U.S. of A. Got my our state flag <laughs> there. Uh, yeah, doing good, man. Good, yeah. Thanks for coming on. So, talk us talk us a little bit about your um, your podcast. Then, uh, obviously, like I said, you're the co-host alongside and some audio and some video stuff. And uh, I I had uh, dug into doing just messing around with podcasts. You know, maybe back in like '19, just uh, as le- you know leisure wise. And uh, yeah, we kind of got together and basically we just started. Re- this is kind of what we did on Monday mornings anyway. We would call and be like, "Did you see that golf shot? It was sick." Or mm-hmm. "Did you see that bad beat? The guy went from." fourth place to 20th on the last two holes and uh yeah so we just started from scratch there right after right in the when golf started back up in the within the pandemic and uh we've been doing it every week since yeah it's, it's funny you say that because i i kind of felt the same way i was always talking about golf and i was tweeting about it and i was like why don't i just record this and put it out on a podcast and talk to people about it right instead of just writing it on social media or something i was like i could just record this so i mean that's that's pretty cool that's that, that's how you guys got started as well yeah, we, um, like I said, I'd call him on Mondays. I worked night shift, or back then I worked night shift. So he, on his way to work, you know, a couple of mornings, we'd talk about the golf tournament in the past week. And, you know, like you said, golf's the greatest sport, I think, out there just because there's so many ways to you improve. It teaches so much about life, patience, how to treat people, be honorable, uh, honesty, you know, all the, all, it teaches all these life lessons. Plus, you know, you can play it to your 90 years old. And, you know, that's why I'm, that's why my dad joined a country club back when I was probably about 10 years old, because uh, he wanted one of his boys to, to play golf, not necessarily for a living, but so he could play golf more <laughs> if he got his kids into it. And so me and my brother both, you know, started my brother was about 14. I was about, like I said, nine or 10 or so. And and uh, I, I got the golf bug a little bit harder. My brother, since he was about driving age, you know, he got him a girlfriend and, and, and basically would just take me to the golf course and drop me off. And I'd mm-hmm. stay there 12 hours a day. And uh, that's kind of how I got the golf bug. So you just started playing, right? Like just recently? Yeah. So I've been playing probably less than two years still. Um, I, I've kind of always been into it, but I'd say like, you know, kind of a backseat golf fan, just keeping an eye on it. Not really, not really with the golf book, let's say, like, as you mentioned. And then I started to take it up again about a year and a half ago, and then it just really hit me. And I was the same. I've been practicing, playing, watching every tournament ever since. And I agree with you, man. I mean, it's, it's a great sport, not only just the sport itself, but as you mentioned, what it teaches people and the respect and the etiquette, um, it really is awesome. So to be able to just talk about it like we do and, and stuff, it's, uh, it's a real blessing. But um, so you guys on the podcast, I mean, you, you do a lot of DFS and stuff like that as well, or do you just kind of catch up and chat about the tournament or is it all DFS or do you try and cover other bits of content as well? Well, so what we try to do is, you know, we'll talk, what we try to do every episode is we kind of talk about our personal lives first, uh, you know, like what we do over the weekend. He plays in a standard game, on, not game, but standard foursome basically every Saturday and Sunday um joe does and then i i don't get to play much anymore like i told you before we came on i've got i've got four girls 10 7 three years old and 10 months old and work all the time so my golf is kind of limited to like short periods where i might play four or five days in a row and then might not play again for three months or or a month or or what have you you know i actually i still have a little bit of that competitive mindset and when it comes to golf and i um so i try to 
schedule tournaments because that's when I know I can play. So if I schedule a tournament, maybe a two-day tournament, six weeks out, I know I get to play three days in a row. That's that's kind of how I get it. So, But as far as the show goes, we try to talk about a little bit of our personal life golf-wise, you know, what we got going on in our lives, and then we then we kind of recap uh, the week before uh, PGA-wise. And then then we go right into the – basically, we, we, we go over a uh, – the DraftKings slate for the week. Um, and then at the very end of the show, we do like what was uh, kind of been our bread and butter, the what's the, what's our heart play of the week, you know, who we really think is going to win. You know, you got a dollar left in your drawer on that Sunday morning at the casino and you mm-hmm. go put it down on somebody. And then we got the dart play of the week, which is, you know, kind of a longer shot. The outside um, is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of where we uh, we land on. Uh, now, through Rotoball, there's tons of different – we have uh, – um guy named andy out in california that breaks down the tournament every week we have uh um josh who does a great course breakdown using google earth pictures to define the golf tournament every week and then and then we have another guy named spencer aguiar who is a vegas expert he lives in las vegas and uh he gives he drops a bunch of daily content for showdowns for dfs also he does some stuff for uh the vegas picks you know he'll pick a pick a different guy every week or a different matchup that's cool. Every week, and and he kills it, man. He he's like, uh, I don't want to say he's like an ATM, but he kills it. He's like <laughs> up forty units a year for like the last three or four years. So, does nice, do does a good job. I mean, for anybody that wants to check you out, so it's the turn on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, right? And then you guys are also on YouTube, Instagram, anywhere else where where the guys can find you and your podcast. Yeah, yeah. So uh, easiest way to find us is www uh the, the com slash c slash the turn that's the easiest way to find us also you can find us all over twitter and i'm at andrew putters he's at joe nicely joe is like uh he's one of the originals when it comes to golf co- content uh uh in america uh mm-hmm. when it comes to dfs he puts out tons of content every week and uh very respected he was actually up for writer of the year in fantasy golf so very respected throughout the country. That's, you know, and he's just a buddy of mine. So that's yeah. good, man. That's good, man. So have you guys had any luck recently? Any any kind of big wins or anything recently? No, uh, I'd say not recently. You know, I kind of got bit with the DFS bug very early on. So um, you know, before there was all the le- legality arguments, you know, it was it was just kind of just they put the the apps out there and no state, you know, over here in America, I don't know if you know this, but we have a federal government, state government. And so it's very complicated. Sure. Federal government has one set of laws, state government has other sets of laws. And so uh, at the beginning, it was just kind of like the apps were there, you know, mm. and uh, literally like my second week uh, plan, I'll never forget. It was the I guess 16 or 17 uh, Canadian open Jason day one. I don't, whatever year that was, it was still mm-hmm. played at Glen Abbey, which is a great, great golf course in canada and uh and uh yeah i put in like 30 lineups in like a three dollar deal and um banked it for 50k so so immediately hooked on on uh on dfs and um from that point on um you know we've got a local buddy here in town that that uh that reads a bunch of joe's stuff and he's banked he's banked 100k on golf 100k on nascar 100k on baseball just uh he's he's kind of a uh well, i wouldn't say a dfs degenerate but uh <laughs> he, he's a car salesman so he's got plenty of time sitting at his computer waiting for somebody to walk up so there you uh, go. but uh yeah i'm you know we i would say we didn't have any big long shots since um 
know, what we just try to do is kind of educate more than, 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 than pick or anything like that. Sure. And, and you touched on it a little bit in terms of the preparation you guys are doing then for say each tournament, when you're going to talk about it. So give us a little bit of an insight into what you guys are looking at then before you, you know, go ahead and do your video and start to do some picks. Yeah. So, you know, like the slate usually comes out on DraftKings, which y'all have DraftKings over there. Do y'all have that? Yeah. It's more popular in America, but we have kind of our own, we have that as well, but we have our own kind of, you know, websites and stuff that we use. It's pretty much the same. Okay. So, you know, the slate in DraftKings comes out about usually about five, six o'clock PM during the day on Monday. And then we record like at, um, I would say seven 30 on Monday night. So we're doing it like right as it comes out. But, uh, as far as preparation goes, uh, especially for me, I, I try to think of different tournaments, kind of put them in groups, like, uh, for whatever reason, um, somebody that plays well at the Phoenix open might play well at a course that's very similar. Like they played a few weeks ago. I can't remember the tournament now, but like, okay, this week, this week's the, uh, the, the, the WGC at, yeah, St. Jude's classic. It's in Memphis, Tennessee. It's about six hours from where I am. People that play well at say Phoenix, which is the waste management seem to play well at the St. Jude's as well. It's the same style of shots. So, so I try to pair tournaments into pods and say that, uh, when these eight tournaments are played, these range of people seem to play pretty well. And that's pretty accurate, honestly. Uh, and, of course, you know, you're looking to probably like a three-year time stamp on that. And then the same for other tournaments as well. So, like, uh, the Travelers up in – the Travelers up in uh, up in Connecticut and, say, uh, Hilton Head have the same style of players that seem to play well every week. And so, or every year, and that's, that just goes on and on. So it's styles of golf courses that we try to put in pods. No. And so, and also we we're big on strokes gain approach. We, we don't put it that much, um, um, into putting week to week. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem like it's that good of a predictor. We're always looking for strokes gain approach. And what for people that don't understand what that is, it's basically if me and you play golf and I shoot 80 and, you shoot 85 there's five shots difference throughout our round that i gained on you and that might be a shot and a half was on putting uh a shot and a half might be on driving and two shots were on say approach let's just i'm just using those random figures and so we concentrate on stroke scan approach for that purpose a little bit of driving and a little bit of putting but mainly stroke scan approach and obviously tournament history that's going to play a big role for whatever reason people are more comfortable at different golf courses uh, and it's just year in, year out, it's seen that. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point that you just finished on there because that's kind of one of the things that I would look at. I mean, I'm not big into DFS and, and the betting side of it, but I do obviously like to talk about the golf and who I think is going to win, et cetera. And I was talking to Sia uh, Najad, who does a little bit of work on the First Cut podcast, um, and also Mark Immelman, actually, about this. And I like to just stick with that in terms of players that play well at either the same course something similar or you know maybe a particular major obviously we all know like Brooks Kepka for example always seems to play well at the at the uh, the US and then Louis Eustazen just seems to play well pretty much at any major so like I look to like to look at stats like that I think they're super relevant um in terms of when you're picking somebody and I think it's great what you said there about looking at similar courses that's not something that I've particularly thought of yet but it's uh, it's definitely a good point 
Yeah, and I was trying to pull up this week, like, so I can give you, like, something we would think about this week. Um, I'll just do that right now. We'll go to yeah, the I mean, W. Yeah. I mean, I'll go to the W. Go, go ahead. I said, I'll go to the WGC in St. Jude right now and pull something mm. up and give you an idea of what we're thinking. Yeah, so, I mean, just, like, just looking at that now, I mean, just by the way, like, Xander's third favorite for that tournament, apparently. Like, he's just won Olympic gold. That guy's got to be still hungover or at least still out partying, right? Yeah, I think so, too. But what what would <laughs> what what Xander does well is he plays golf courses like Memphis pretty well. I do agree that uh, he's probably going to be a little bit worn out. But, like, um, so – for whatever reason, um, like um, DeChambeau, for instance, his he's been fairly weak on his stroke scan approach for quite a while now, and it continued to go in that way. And so whoever he's matched up against this week, if there's somebody compatible that, uh, say, like um, even a Matsuyama, who's, uh, who, you know, is probably way more inconsistent than Bryson, I would still look at Matsuyama over a DeChambeau this week, or if Louis matched up against him because Louis plays a, a, a long irons. This is a long iron style golf course, 200 yards plus par fours, 175 to 225 are going to be very important. And those, those guys play, do that very well. So that's just an idea uh, for this week. Now I'm not a big DeChambeau fan, so I might be a little bit tainted, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, that's just what we're looking for every week when it comes to matchups and things like that. I mean, that's interesting that you say that because I feel kind of the same way. Um, I mean, g- give me a little bit of insight in- into your opinion, first of all, why why you don't like him so much. Why well, I don't like Bryson? Bryson. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I-, I think he's a little bit clueless on on uh, how he comes off to people, number one. Uh, a little bit clueless to the way he acts. And what I mean by, like, not self-aware, how's that? He's not self-aware of the way he acts a lot. Um, and that's just what we see. It's completely different behind the scenes, I'm sure. But what we see is just zero self-awareness of how he comes off. And there was a guy on a – I think the No Laying Up podcast that, that was a, the former caddy for um, for uh, Matt Kuchar, who's now working, I think, with CBS or NBC now as an analyst or maybe on the golf on the course analyst. Okay. And uh, he, he brought up a, a specific time where he had to uh, basically uh, uh, call call out Bryson on a, on a tee box and tell him that what he's doing is affecting other people mm-hmm. in the tournament. So, yeah, I think the zero self-awareness for, for one. Um, now, don't, yeah. don't get me wrong, world talent. I mean, he's figured out a way. He, he's doing the same things that jack nicholas and tiger woods did as far as trying to break down every hole individually and figuring out the lowest possible way to the the lowest possible score he could have on that hole over a period of time and and he's doing that that is what he's been able to do with that is is pretty amazing for sure i think i think it is something a bit just the self-awareness i don't think he means to do it um he reminds me you know when you get these it could be a kid or or an adult when they're super intelligent and because they're super intelligent they almost sometimes like kind of insult people with the way they talk about stuff he kind of reminds me like that like with the driver the way he goes oh it sucks i think he's just he's obviously got these high expectations he works on it really hard and he's probably just talking about his game was sucking that weekend i don't really think he was specifically just talking about the driver um but yeah, just sometimes he's not aware of how he might sound, and he has to do that as a as a professional athlete, as they all do. Right? They can't 
they can't talk a certain way when they're on camera. Um, but I, I do think he's maybe just a little bit misunderstood. I agree that I'm not his biggest fan because of the same reasons. And I also really don't agree with the way he goes about golf. I love that he's trying to change it in terms of getting more power and trying to change his game. But I, I don't enjoy watching that style. I mean, I was watching the the Open uh, down here in the UK and, you know, he smashed this driver, whatever it was, 300 and something. And it went way off to the left into the into the left rough. And then all the fans are kind of clapping and like, woo, Bryson, you know? And it's like, well, he's going to take a second shot out of that long stuff at the Open now and hack it out and try and get it on the green. And they're cheering that. And I didn't really understand that kind of strategy. Whereas if he just took a little bit more off it, tried to find a better balance, you know, he'd probably dominate more often than he does, you know, kind of like he did at the at the US Open. Um, so for me, I think that's what he, he, he kind of needs to do. But on the flip side of that as well, I, I don't know if you caught it, I saw the podcast that uh, Tim Tucker did on the, the Subpar um, podcast, and he was just saying a similar thing in terms of how, you know, misunderstood he is and how people don't see the kind of work he does in for charities and with kids and all that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, maybe he just needs to work a little bit on what he says when when the eyes are on him, you know? I agree. I mean, I would imagine – I mean, think about it. He's been at the top of his game at every level. So, you know, U.S. Amateur champion, NCAA individual champion, uh, U.S. Open champion now at, you know, what, 20, 28, 26. How wild is it that him and Jordan Spieth are the same age? Yeah. doesn't fit, That's pretty wild it is. Uh, to think. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean – I'm sure he's a great person. I'm just not the biggest fan. That's yeah. just that's just it. Yeah. So who are you looking at this weekend? Then have you have you kind of having a proper look into it yet? Are you still are you still kind of deciding before you you choose, or have you got some picks? Um. So you know, this week actually, I I was uh, it's a week I have a week off for work, so that's why they actually made it. We were able to put this together. But uh, so Joe, my my partner, kind of did the show solos. I haven't looked much at it just from a um, standpoint that I'm not a huge fan of no cut events. Mm. Um, but I would say that uh, Xander Brooks and DJ are naturally going to play these, this tournament very well, just from the way they hit their long irons. Uh, and that's just that that's without recent form in there. Uh, and it's no secret at all that Xander plays better uh, this is a shot at one of my buddies. It, it doesn't mean to be uh, Nagels Bagels, who's a who's a podcaster, but uh, Xander seems to do better when no cut events and smaller field events, regardless of the of the of the competition. And this is highly competitive. He just won the gold medal over in Japan, mm-hmm. over in Tokyo, excuse me. And um, those would be three guys that I would really be looking at. Uh, recent form wise, you have to think DJ has been pretty bad. So I would just say that somebody like Brooks Kepka makes sense. Uh, he's a former winner here. Um, if you look on down the slate a little bit, uh, somebody like Will Zalatoris, who also hits his long irons good, he's been putting pretty poorly recently, but that's a, that's a little bit of a longer shot than than say a Brooks Kepka. Sure. I think, I think this week we've definitely got to take into account the traveling that's been done by those playing at the Olympics as well. I mean, that's got to take – uh, a bit out of them right I mean when did they finish they finished up playing on the Sunday was it and then they've just got back and now they're gonna have to get straight over to the tournament and get back out in the practice range do a practice round so I think it's an interesting week in terms of choosing picks I think feel like it's a, a week where you could maybe look a little bit down the slate a bit and, and choose somebody as a 
maybe more like a mid-range pick, right? Um, you know, there's some great players in there that have not, not played at the Olympics. Cantley's there, Scheffler's there, um, Matt Fitzpatrick. I always like the way he plays. I feel like I'm, we're all waiting for him to win. But yeah, with, with Xander, it's going to be an interesting one because we've all been waiting a while, haven't we, for him to to finally get another win, um, whether it's on the PGA or or at the Olympics, I guess it, it doesn't really matter. So it'll be interesting to see how this kind of boosts his confidence now in the P, back in the PGA rather than at the Olympics. Yeah, I agree. Um, the Olympic travel has to be exhausting. I've been to, um, I've flown to Tokyo before from here and it's a long ways away. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it took me 36 hours to get back home. Wow. Uh, so uh it people that say the jet lag ain't real that they ain't <laughs> ever done it obviously so um and 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 we are and i'm basically where where the tournament is you know as far as flying goes so i would imagine is they have a, they had a similar trip unless the plane was chartered it probably took them between 25 and 30 hours to get back yeah so you plan on uh getting over to the tournament or you're not going to get a chance it's six hours away. I, I caddied in it when I was 15. Our club pro actually qualified for it, and I caddied in it. And we were Ooh. paired with um, Ted Purdy and Rory Sabatini. Sabatini is, I mean, Just obviously. This silver was, medal. Mm. Yeah, the, this was like uh, 23 years ago. So, you know, Sabatini was very young then, uh, and he was a great ball striker. And had at the time, they were talking about how good, you know, how, how great of a career he was looking to have. And, um he was not a very pleasant person to be paired with. However, I was a junior golfer, and so he talked to me the entire time. He loved talking to me about golf because I was just a junior, and, you know, he's like, so what's your handicap? You know, I was like, uh, you know, I was like, I don't know, 15. I was probably like an eight or something, you know, or, you know, and he's like, that's that's cool. And, and you know, what was it last year? And, you know, what kind of driver you hit? And how far do you, you know, he loved talking to me. Yeah, and that was yeah. my first exposure to the PJ Tour. And uh, it was, of course, in Memphis. You got to look at this time of year. Temperatures are going to be around 100 degrees. It's miserably hot. Um, mm. uh, yes. So you got to think That's, about that, too. I was going to say, it's going to be another factor, right? I'm just looking like mid-slate mid here, who we've got. I mean, Cameron Smith, he obviously got his win fairly recently as well. He's a good player that's used to probably playing in the heat. He's, uh, he's the Aussie, right? Um mm -hmm. I mean, Joaquin Neiman, I think he just played in the Olympics. So did Shane Lowry. Uh, Abe Anser did as well. Tommy Fleetwood. So maybe, maybe uh, I think, did Corey Connors play in the Olympics for Canada? He was, no, was he, he wasn't there, I right? I don't think so. I, I think Canada kind of has, still has tra major travel restrictions, but, but, uh, yeah. <clears throat> but they didn't, I, I didn't notice they had some participants there. So I don't think yeah. he did. But yeah, so that might be a good one from the mid range. I mean, he's he's uh, he's coming at forty five to one on the bookies that I'm looking at here, and he's another player that even though he's he's not been great recently, has he? He had that kind of amazing spell where he just was finishing top tens, top twenty fives for for fun, um, and then he just kind of went downhill a little bit. But another player that's great with his irons, great with his approach play. So maybe he can do something this weekend. Yeah, the person I like way down on the slate uh, is K H Lee. Uh, he's he plays Phoenix. He played well in a couple of weeks. He played well again on a course that matched up with Phoenix and um, Lucas Glover. You know, yeah. this like I said, it's a really hard golf course and in bogey avoidance. He's really good at that. He hits his irons really good. Uh, it doesn't putt that great, but that's just a couple of guys way on down the slate that I would I would look at. 
yeah, that's the other thing I was going to say about him. Um, it's just his putting, isn't it, with Lucas Glover? He's, he's super accurate, but then just not so great with his with his putting. Um, who else have we got down here? Uh, Garrick Higger, I think he played in the, in the Olympics as well, but he's he's been brilliant recently. Maybe he can get another win. He's quite a big outsider. Um, Matthew Wolf. I mean, what do you think of Matthew Wolf? I know he's he's had that time off, that long time off with with the kind of mental health stuff, and he seemed to, he came back, didn't he, and had a, a really good first tournament back when he came back. He seemed to look like kind of his old self, a little bit more confident. He still had a mixed round, but he was definitely some good stuff in there. So I don't know whether that means he's kind of on the verge of, of coming back to, to compete for some golf tournaments. Yeah, so I like Matt Wolf a lot as a golfer. Uh, he's still really young, obviously 20, 21 years old, 22, every old he is. And he – but this golf course particularly does not um, – I mean, hitting the driver a long ways helps anywhere, don't get me wrong, but uh, – there's not much to gain here hitting it long uh hitting it long and straight is a is a big and a big uh, plus here he does not necessarily do that like we get to hold 10 it's a dog leg left <clears throat> you got to hit it about 300 yards 280 to 300 off the tee maybe a little bit shorter than that and you have a real long shot into the green 11's an island green it's i think more balls go in the water any hole in the pj tour there except for the sawgrass 17 and then you go to the next hole and it's just like short. I mean, it's not, it's like 400 yard par four. It goes around the huge bent horseshoe bend around. And I, I'd say Bryson probably tried to drive that green. Yeah. Uh, but you can get as close to 20 yards or lay back 150, super tight hole. So necessarily, you know, we like to, we like to look at Matthew Wolf individually on courses that have four par fives or more. And you can kind of hit the driver anywhere. And that's, he seems to play really well on golf courses like that. Yeah. Do you guys cover much of the, like the European tour or the LPGA, or are you just sticking to PGA stuff at the moment? You know, we, we, uh, as far as Rotoballer goes, Joe used to put out some European articles from time to time and literally, <laughs> you know, just it being over here in the States, it just didn't get much traction. So mm -hmm. for the most part, we just concentrate on the PGA tour. You know, I think, you know, whenever everything was shut down, there was a tour, a little mini tour out in Arizona that a bunch of the PGA guys played in called the Out, Outlaw Tour or something. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of the tour guys played in it just to kind of stay sharp. So we, we talked about that a little bit, or he wrote it up a little bit. And, um, you know, we just really concentrate on the PGA Tour because there's so much that can be talked about within that mm -hmm. alone. Sure. Are you, are you a fan, though? Do you like watching that style of golf down on the European tour, or do you prefer watching the, the PGA? I like watching it. The, the part that I don't – not necessarily don't like is that they're – it's kind of like, okay, there's, you don't know a lot of the players. Does that make sense? So, like, we have a minor league baseball team here, that, and it's a great stadium to go watch play. I just went up there Sunday afternoon and watched them play. Very fun. But when you don't know the players, there's less to cheer for. And sure. same thing with the European Tour. Most of the high, you know, world-ranking guys play on the U.S. Tour. And, you know, I get it. The uh, You know, the, there's more money to be made. There's uh, more prestigious tournaments, it seems like, that are week in, week out. And, 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 and let's be honest, a lot of them live over here full-time now, too. So, mm -hmm. um, you know – you know, of course, the you know, like say, like the was it the the 
the Volvo Masters, wherever it used to be a huge tournament, Wentworth or whatever. I don't know if yep. they still play yep. there, but like you play that. That's a golf course that I can remember watching a lot. Um, but you know, of course, the the desert stuff. That's the European events now, right? The Desert Classic in Dubai yep. and all that. Yep. So yeah, like with tournaments like that, that have might attract more notable guys. I, I I like watching that. As far as the Lynx golf goes, I I mean. You know, Don Ross is one of the most famous designers in the States, and most of all of his courses are linked to design, you know, when it comes to Pinehurst, um, you know, Holston Hills, which is two minutes from where I live. It's a, a Corn Ferry Tour events played there. Um, you know, so I love Lynx Golf. I, I mean, it's – I was actually a little disappointed in the British Open just for the – I guess the Open Championship, excuse me. Uh, the, because because of the, the we didn't get the high winds you know for being a coastal yeah. course yeah uh, the so was, they the were it was way too nice wasn't it they they just teed it up literally and let it fly you know because they're going to get slower greens on on that style of course and and i think i think that maybe even from what joe told me the the superintendent went out kind of talked that he didn't want to make it he didn't want it to be a, a tough test because he didn't want to have to work twice as hard, three times as hard to save the golf course later on, where in America, superintendent will take it down to nothing whenever it comes to, you know, uh, having a huge event. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, just one of those. I mean, it's played at that time of year. There's always a chance that we're going to get some sun. So I don't know, maybe we need to look at adding it a little bit later into the calendar because it's a, it's a good point, especially to attract the attention from outside of Europe, you know, like yourselves in, in the US, you want to be seeing that full links experience, don't you? The wind coming in and, and players having difficult shots to make. But it, yeah, I, I know what you mean compared to others. It just kind of seemed a little bit timid almost. Yeah. And, and, and they, you know, they literally lit it up. I mean, mm. you know, I, my, my thoughts about, and this is just a selfish me saying this out loud, but like I could watch the old course every year, you know, mm. uh, you know, cause you know, the holes, right. It's just like Augusta, you know, the holes, and yeah. I, I understand there's other great courses and, I, I, and you know, whether they're on like a five-year rotation now or six-year road, I don't know how many, maybe like a five-year rotation of the, of the different courses. And yeah, that, it's, it's, it's great, but you know, I, I, I like the holes better. I like knowing the holes better, I like knowing the course better and I only get to see them twice a decade. So, you know, I've never got a chance to make the trip over there. I definitely want to do that and, you know, hit the three Scotland courses up you know, mm -hmm. knock those out in one trip. That would be amazing. Uh, yeah. You guys, you guys going to cover the, the Ryder Cup much? Have you had any early thoughts on that? Yeah, we probably will. We'll probably just have an episode and talk about the teams a little bit and make some predictions, you know, uh, that that is really over the last 20 years has really turned into quite a rivalry now. Um, yeah. Um, you know, where we went, you know, we went tons of years where Europe never lost and tons of years America never lost and, now it's turned into, you know, I, I would love to go. I've heard it is it's because they keep the crowds down a little bit compared to regular events. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's only, you know, five groups at a time or four groups at a time on the course, but I would love to go um, to a Ryder Cup one day. Yeah. Any early kind of predictions in terms of what the U.S. team is going to look like or who you want to have in that U.S. team? No, I really don't. Um, you know, they changed the selection process this year. Um, now let me pull this up real quick. Oh right, I didn't realize that. Yeah, they they changed it because of the, you know, with COVID mess everything up. They put two, you know, they they took it two years apart, and so now I think that they're they're letting the captain select half the team. Where before, 
the captains selected maybe two uh, or four. Yeah. I can't remember. Um, so right now it's Morikawa, DJ, DeChambeau, Kepka, Thomas, and Xander. You know, uh, if you go outside of the top 12, though, you know, for me, a guy like Zalatoris or Kokrak, who's played great over the last year, they're, they're both outside of the top 12. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm not, you know, I'm not sure if they're better than anybody inside the top 12. So, sure, sure. you know, like, like maybe a uh, Harrison English. So you got Jordan, Patrick Reed, Harris English, Cantlay, Berger, Finau. Uh, you know, that would be a pretty good team there. So yep. it's a whistling straights up in Wisconsin, which is a big golf course, big and windy. So you have to think about that too. Yeah. I mean, do you see this kind of whole thing with Brooks and Bryson affected it at all? Do you like, you think that'll all be kind of cleaned up by then or? No, I think, I think it's all kind of, I don't think it's a scam at all or nothing like that, but I think it's definitely played up quite a bit uh, between the two. Um, you uh, know, they might not like each other, but I just think it's played up quite a bit. I don't, I don't think that Brooks necessarily, this is just an outside looking in opinion. I don't think that Brooks necessarily gets along with many people on the tour. Mm. Um, that's just an estimation. You know, I had a chance to talk to his brother in Knoxville whenever he was here for the KFT event. And just the way that I'm not saying he's rude or anything at all, but, you know, just the way that we, our conversation went, it just didn't seem like necessarily that. You kind of uh, get, I, I get the kind of same vibe when he does the media stuff as well. So I, I know what you mean. He, he's, uh, I don't know, maybe like giving short answers, doesn't like to talk too much. So I, I kind of get that vibe from him as well. Um, I don't know. At this point, it seems to have just got a little bit petty though. So that's the other thing that kind of makes me think whether it is, um, you know, almost staged, right? Because uh, I think when it first started as well, at least from what I got from the British coverage here, it's a similar time to when they started to talk about this whole, um, almost like a golf league, whereby players that were having bigger brands and channels um, on social media were going to be rewarded. And then all of a sudden this kind of beef started and it's like, well, is it down to that? You know, they obviously wanted to be talked about more. I have to imagine that a lot of that is, is plays a part. Uh, I mean, the, the, the comment, though, about the, the funniest one to me was the, the comment at the Open whenever DeChambeau said he, his driver was terrible and, mm-hmm. and then Brooks was, like, driving into the weekend with my driver or something like that. It was That was hilarious. But, you know, I think it's all funny. But, yeah, yeah I, I think it's played up quite a bit. I just think they just don't get along. Like, you know, later on, Brooks kind of put the fire out, I thought, whenever he said that, you know, there's people you work with that you don't get along with. No different here. It's yeah. just you asked me a question about it. If somebody asked you a question about somebody you didn't like working with, I'm sure uh, you get the same answer. Yeah, I think you made a comment about the caddy as well, no? He's like, I'm really happy with my caddy just after Tim Tucker and, and Bryson start working together. Yeah, that I think, you know, at the U.S. Open, there was rumors that they were in pretty heated discussions, you know, which I would imagine, you know, uh, I, th- I think Bryson's caddy uh, quit before and – and Bryson struggled really bad and went back to him and said, whatever it takes to get you back. And he undisclosed salary. That's a lot. <laughs> and mm. so there's no doubt that he's the highest paid caddy on tour, but I mean, you have to imagine working for that guy mm. would be pretty demanding because you've seen video clips of him out there at dark, still hitting balls. And, you know, yep. you think about being at a tournament and you're there from 10 in the morning, literally till 
nine or 10 o'clock at night every day. That'd be very demanding. I know that he's probably getting paid well, but still very demanding and probably just not at the end of the day, it was not worth it to him. And so I think post us open was whenever he quit. So there was, there yeah. were some rumors that, that go around the driving range. I heard that, that it was pretty heated. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause like I said, he, he did that podcast and you know, he had his kind of chance to speak about, about it and he didn't have a bad word to say. So I don't know whether he was just kind of trying to keep his mouth shut about it, but yeah, I mean, it, it must be super intense. Uh, he was talking about how, you know, Bryson wants to change something or test something in between tournaments or whatever he's, you know, they're all supposed to be on a day off that, he would have to then go fly out to to see Bryson and and work on him with it, and you know even going out on the courses and they're, they're looking at stuff like air density and and all this kind of thing. Like he just come up with something and he has to go out there and, and meet Bryson and and do all this testing with him. So as you said, it pays well, but I imagine it's uh, super intense and it probably doesn't get many days off. I imagine. Yeah, and I don't think that I don't think that. Um... As far as the caddy goes, you have to think too. He's got to protect his future job status, and if, if he goes out and puts his player on blast, he's probably gonna have a hard time getting a job in the future. So, I can understand why he wouldn't say something bad. But yeah, I mean, the intensity level's got to be extreme. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're not happy doing what you're doing, you're probably not gonna do it very long, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think yeah. with that situation, that's probably it. Uh, I mean, this, this. I mean, of course, we're all talking generically and opinions of what we're seeing we're not actually seeing it all but you imagine you know working six days at a tournament and and you know you're working 14 hours a day and um, you know you made a lot of money that week and then you get that one day off or that three days off you know you're you're gonna be off say you know you travel yeah. home monday you're gonna be off tuesday wednesday thursday and then we're gonna get back after on friday and he calls you on wednesday he's like hey fly out here and meet me that's uh, it, isn't it? it? I mean, all, all the money obviously helps, but like the the time they must spend away from their families and yeah. just whatever vacations and stuff like that, it gets to a point where it's like, well, what's the point in having all this money if I'm not even going to enjoy it? You know, you're constantly working and traveling around. They never get a chance to spend it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Listen, man, well, it was, um, it was great to talk to you anyway. Thank you for coming on. And just to remind everybody, so it's the Turn Golf uh, Podcast. And they can find you on no, www.youtube.com slash C slash the turn. Find us on Twitter at, uh, I think it's at the turn golf pod along with, uh, I'm Andrew Putters. My partner is Joe nicely on all social media. So you can find okay. us there. Um, like I said, rotoballer.com. They're a big, uh, deal with us as far as, uh, all your finding all your daily fantasy needs, any sport, uh, but the PJ premiums there. So yeah, man, check us out. Yeah, man. Well, it's been great talking to you. I'll go check it out. And everybody else, make sure you go and subscribe to that channel. I appreciate it, Alex. All right. Cheers, Andrew. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Cheers, man. Mm-hmm.